0: Let's turn with me now to the New Testament and to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. Luke, chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there. For indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And he said to his disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here, look there. Do not go after them or follow them, for as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines through the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first, He must suffer many things and be rejected by this regeneration. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, They bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And Likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken, and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. It is a powerful two-edged sword, and it does the work that you call it to do, whether in judgment or in salvation. We pray, Lord, that this day you would do the great work of salvation, of prompting to its warnings that we might flee to Christ in faith. We ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. This morning we carry on in Luke chapter 17 toward the end in this section that's uh, sometimes called the mini-apocalypse. It's so-called because if you think of the great apocalypse in the book of Revelation, the long and full apocalypse, this similarly is telling us about the end of the world and the return of Christ. Now Jesus is on that subject because of the question that the Pharisees had asked him in verse 20. They asked him when the kingdom of God would come. And you may recall the answer to that. He answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. But he, of course, wasn't finished answering the real question that he had been asked. The Pharisees' problem, and I think also the disciples' problem, was that they were condensing all of the events of the end, all the prophecies, into just one moment. And they thought, that that was back then and so they didn't understand these two different parts of the kingdom of god yes the kingdom of god was was back then and it came without observation it has in fact already come he says this kingdom it's among you but it's without observation because it's a spiritual kingdom But that's not the end of the story. That's not the way that things always remain. It will not forever remain a kingdom without observation because one day Christ will come and every eye will see him. One day Christ will come in his glory with a universal and immediate observation to the entire world from one end to the other and he will come to judge the nations. Now the question is, what will it be like? What will that day be like? What will be the end like? That's the subject of our sermon this morning. Now, the way that Christ chooses to teach what this future judgment is going to be like is mainly just to point out the way that God has already brought judgment in the past. That is a wonderful, beautiful thing about the God that we serve is that he does not change. In fact, he is unchangeable. Our Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so there are precedents that we can learn from because we do not look back in the, the past and say, well, that's what, how, what happened there. But we have no idea what the Lord might do in the future. We look at the past as a key, in fact, to the very way that he's going to act in the future. And so there are these precedents to learn from the great flood of Noah's day and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says that the return of Christ at the end of time will be just Like that. It'll happen along these same lines. Now, many things could be said about the way that that happens, and we'll mention some of them. But the main thing, the thing that he's emphasizing, the thing that I'll emphasize, is that the judgment came suddenly. And by suddenly, I mean dramatically, I mean completely, not slowly, not partially, and mainly, beyond everything else, I mean unexpectedly. That's what I mean when I say suddenly. They're not expecting it. They were eating and drinking. They were carrying on in their normal lives. And suddenly judgment comes. Now, it didn't come without warning. In fact, as we're going to see, there, there was absolutely warning before the flood. There was absolutely warning even for Sodom and Gomorrah. And there will certainly be ample warning for the end of the, war, of the world. But when it comes, the world will not be expecting it. Whatever warnings there are will go sadly unheeded, and judgment will come upon this world suddenly and unexpectedly. That's what Jesus would have us to know about the end. And having known that about the end, he expects us to act accordingly, which we'll speak of. So the title is Judgment Comes Suddenly. And the three points are that the flood came suddenly, secondly, the destruction of Sodom came suddenly. And thirdly, the end of the world will also come suddenly. Judgment comes suddenly. And the first point is that the flood came suddenly. As it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. Now, I'm I'm all for sermon illustrations. You know that I use them, but I want to say this is no mere sermon illustration that I'm making up. The author of all things, the creator, and also the judge... The one who has done these things in the past, the one who will do them in the future, he himself is making this parallel between the flood and the end. He's saying that the way that he acted in the past is the way that he's going to act in the future. And he brings our attention then to the flood. Now, what was it like in the days of Noah? By the way, if you don't believe in the flood, that's your first problem, isn't it? That's very much your first problem. How are you going to learn from the past if you don't believe the word of God? It's sad to me. It was sad enough that the flood came and took those people away in judgment. How much sadder would it be for future generations not to learn from their mistakes? Well, what was it like in the days of Noah? It says in verse 27, they ate, they drank. They married wives that were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now, it's interesting to me that this is, these are the activities that, that Christ is pointing out. He doesn't point out their sin. Because that's what's emphasized, you know, in, in Genesis chapter six, in Genesis six five, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then verse eleven, the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. You, th- you think maybe He'd mention that, but our text only He only speaks of these ordinary activities: eating and drinking, and marriage, and given being given in marriage. Well, the difference, of course, is that there's a context. In Genesis 6, God is telling us why there was a judgment on the world, justice of God upon sin. And here in Luke 17, Jesus is telling us what the judgment will be like. It will be unexpected. Ordinary life will just be carrying on, and then judgment will come suddenly upon them. Now, I would say just because he's not here specifically pointing out their sin, it doesn't mean that the description even that he gives of their life is altogether right. There's nothing sinful in those activities in themselves or good gifts of God. Eating, drinking, marriage, good gifts of God. But what is missing in all that list? Worshiping, prayer, keeping the Sabbath day. Any mention of God whatsoever, none of those things are involved in that list. The world is carrying on ordinary life, and for them, ordinary life is a life without reference to the living God. And that's the problem. That's why judgment is coming. No mention of God, no mention of the one to whom they must give account, the one whom they must love with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength, that is the the absolute sum and the greatest of the commandments, No hint of that happening. They are living as if he did not exist, and so it is in our world today. They are eating and drinking, giving, being married, giving in marriage. But they're living utterly without reference to their maker. And yet judgment, sudden and final judgment, was hanging over their heads in those days. Now, perhaps they just didn't think that God would take any notice And if he did notice, perhaps they think he didn't care. And if he did care, perhaps they thought that he wasn't going to do anything about it. And if maybe, maybe he was planning on doing something about it, at least they thought he wasn't going to do anything soon. And that was a great mistake, wasn't it? They were wrong on every one of those counts. They were dead wrong about it because God had noticed, God did care, and God was about to do something about it. Genesis 6.12, so God looked upon the earth... And indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. He had noticed. He certainly cares, and he's about to do something. They will be greatly mistaken. Now, let me say again, it's going to come upon them suddenly, but it's not as if there was no warning in fact, it wasn't just, it was a warning in both kinds. There's there obviously a visible warning of the ark being under construction. It was not, it's not a rowboat, it was huge, it was gigantic. And it took a long time, 120 years, to build that ark. And beyond the visual warning, there was the word of God. 2 Peter 2 5 says this. God, and he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, a preacher of righteousness. It means he was not mute. He was not silent. When people came and asked him what this meant, what this ark meant, he explained that judgment was coming. And there they could see the ark being completed bit by bit the warning was there and it went unheeded and so judgment came upon them suddenly now what else could we learn from the flood certainly that the destruction was total that's another way in which when i speak of suddenly it's not just unexpected it it also is in terms of its totality there's nothing kind of gradual or halfway about it it was utterly complete the flood came and destroyed them all that's one of our problems, you see. There's the problems of, of sinful man, un, unbelieving man, is that we're just hoping that if God ever does something, that it will be kind of halfway, incipient, gradual, and then when we kind of see things happening, then halfway through that, then maybe we'll repent. But that's not the way that the flood happened. When that sudden destruction came, it was a total destruction. The flood came. And destroyed them all. That's what Jesus is reminding us. Again, this, these are not my words. These are, this is Lord Jesus, the most loving man who ever lived. And he's saying, Don't forget, I once brought a flood upon this world and I destroyed everyone except for eight people. It was sudden and it was total. And it will be like the final end because it will be worldwide and total. The, only, the difference, of course, is that back then it was it was water, as if it were the, the more gentle agent of cleansing. This dirty, filthy, sin-filled earth was washed with this water, and only the eight remaining people of God's church escaped in the flood. It was cleansed, and, and yet and it grew again. As soon as the water receded, in fact, it was incredibly fertile, with many, many kind of implications for the, the world that was was then thereafter, the next time it'll be cleansed with, with fire. And the destruction will be even greater. Well, anyways, we should learn, shouldn't we, first of all, that the flood came suddenly. But if that weren't enough, Jesus goes on to tell us, secondly, the destruction of Sodom also came suddenly. Right? Likewise, verse 28, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. Keep in mind, by the way, how Sodom was described in Genesis 13, okay? It wasn't a dump. It was a beautiful place. Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well-watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. There has to be an editorial explanation there. Like what? A dump? Like the garden of the Lord. He's talking about Eden. Like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zor. That's not the desert. That's the nice part. That's the, the flourishing, beautiful agricultural part. And he says that's the way Sodom and Gomorrah used to be. That's why Lot chose to live there. Lot, uh, uh, you know, uh, Abraham says, Lot, you can go that way. You can go this way. Take your pick. I'll, I'll just go the other way. And he looks around and he sees just how beautiful the plain of the Jordan is. And that's why he goes and lives in Sodom in the first place. And so we would see, at least to me, an unexpected place for the judgment of God to fall. That's our, our thought, isn't it, sometimes? That ugly, terrible places deserve the judgment of God, but beautiful places don't. Well, more to the point of our text, it wasn't just an unexpected place, it was an unexpected time. That's Jesus' point. In addition to eating and drinking, he's he's saying what's going on, there is buying and selling, planting and building. Even, even more extensive list and even more indicative of an expectation of the future. Yes, you don't get married if you're expecting every, the world to end, you know, in the afternoon of their marriage. But moreover, even more dramatically, you don't plant something unless you're thinking there's going to be harvest. You don't build something unless you think that the building project's going to be complete. All those people in that time where were, they were expecting there to be a tomorrow... In Sodom, They were expecting there to be a tomorrow in Gomorrah as they were closing those deals, those business deals, and they were going on with their farming and all the rest of their normal activities and their weddings. But then sudden destruction came. In verse 29, But on that day Lot went out of Sodom, and it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Again, the same, same idea. On that day, the day that Lot went out of Sodom. Now let me just say, I'm going to mention this a little bit more in the application, but let me just say, it was the day that Lot went out of Sodom. Just like it was the day that Noah and his, his family got onto the ark. Because that's what precipitates this great judgment, is also the salvation of God's people. When God's people are made complete, when God's people are rendered safe, being in the the instrument of their salvation, whether that's fleeing from the city or whether that's getting onto the ark or whether that's getting into the church by faith in Jesus Christ, then the end comes. Interesting. Anyways, the point is, on that day, suddenly it rained fire and brimstone. They were not expecting this, okay? They weren't expecting it. You know the story of how it happened. You know the behavior, the awful, wicked behavior of those men of Sodom who gathered around Lot's house. It's not the behavior of those who are expecting to, to meet their God within a matter of hours. But God came nonetheless in judgment. And on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. judgment came suddenly as it did in the flood so also did in the destruction of sodom and gomorrah and thirdly so also will it be with the end of the world the end of the world is going to come suddenly even so verse 30 even so will it be in the day when the son of man is revealed it's going to be just like that now, that word revealed, by the way, that's where we get the word apocalypse from. That's what it is in Greek when, the, when the, the son of man is revealed. That's very much to the point of what was said earlier. Look, the kingdom of God is happening. Now, what are, you, what are you asking here, Pharisees? You're asking about the kingdom of God. Let me tell you about the kingdom of God. It's actually already here. It's already among you. It's a spiritual kingdom, and it comes without observation. Now, if you're asking about the days of the son of man, when I'm going to be revealed, well, I'll tell you something else about that. Back then, he was in his state of humiliation. We saw him, people looked at him, and there was nothing special about him. Even, even those like John the Baptist, as it were, looked twice at Jesus to see whether he really was the Christ. But it won't be that way at the end. He will be revealed in his glory, coming on the clouds of glory to judge the living and the dead. And the message is, as it was with these other events, so likewise at the end of time. They will not be expecting the imminent end of the world. All those things that were said, eating, drinking, getting married, being given in marriage, and buying and selling and planting and building, all those things will be going on right towards the end. It's useful, by the way. We can be certain that there will not be some sort of gradual ending to it. Um, We we know that normal life will be carrying on up until the very end. And again, it's not because they know nothing of a judgment. We've already seen that there was a a warning for the flood that wasn't listened to. You know, there was that even with regard to, to Sodom and Gomorrah. In, in, particularly in the case of of lots of lots sons-in-laws, you remember he goes and he says, the angels say, look, do you have anyone? Do you have any connection here? Do you have any people? Do you have any other family beyond that which is in your house? Because God does care about households. God does care about family connections. Do you have any? Let's go. Let's. You better go warn them. And he says, well, I do have these sons-in-law, and I'm going to. they seem to be uh, engaged or intended sons-in-law. And so he goes and he finds them and he does talk to them. And do you remember what the response was? It seemed to them as if he were joking. The warning came to them. And it wasn't a warning that judgment will happen in 100 years or 50 years, 10 years, or even one year. He said judgment is happening now. At this very time, judgment is about to come on this, this very city and they scorned it. And that's the way it's going to be at the end of time as well. 2 Peter 3.3 3 says this, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? Now that's really interesting. These scoffers know something about the end. They know that there is a promise of his coming. They know that there is a promise of of the Lord coming in judgment. And yet they scoff at it. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That's their observation. That's exactly how they prove that judgment isn't coming. Because they look out into the world and they see ordinary activities going on. They see eating and drinking. Marriage and giving in marriage. Buying and selling, building and planting. And that is their proof that judgment is never coming. The very thing that Jesus says, this is the way it's going to be. For this, by this, they willingly forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. Isn't that a sudden sort of thing? That right now, the, the whole world that we see is being preserved by the word of God. It was made by the word of God in the first place. And now it is being preserved by a word And that word was actually the same word which once declared its destruction in the flood. The word that is upholding the world for the moment is the same word which ordained sudden destruction upon Sodom and Gomorrah and all their wickedness. That word upholds the world for a little while longer, being reserved for what? For judgment. This is the situation of the ungodly in this world. They, at this very moment, are being upheld by the word of God. And the world around them is being upheld by the word of God in order that they might come to judgment. And they know about the promise, you see. They scoff at it. Somehow or another, the word has come to them that the world will end and that they will be judged, and yet they scoff at it. How sad. Well, brothers and sisters, let me say that judgment comes suddenly. And the way that we think about these things, the way we apply them, is first of all, I would say, behold your God. That's application number one. Behold for everyone. Believers, unbelievers, everyone, behold your God. This is he. I know that there are those who want to make a different God. There are those who want to make a toothless God that would never hurt a a flea that he's sort of, um, I don't know, Father Christmas, and that uh, he, he's going to deal kindly even with the worst uh, sin, even apart from any recognition of what he's done or faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, all the rest of it. Well, I hope you see that that's a lie of Satan. Okay? That sort of picture that you just cons- that, that you might have in your head about this toothless God who would never, never bring judgment upon anyone, you understand who, who first came up with that idea? The people who lived in the time of the flood. Okay? That was their idea of God. They said, I don't know if God notices. If he notices, I don't know if he cares. But if he cares, he's not going to do anything about it. And Noah, this, this old guy here, is telling us that God has appeared, to, has spoken to him, and he's given the word of God, and that destruction is coming. And in fact, when this ark is done, that the world is going to end. We don't believe it. Our God would never do such a thing. He's toothless, and he's not ever going to judge us. And they were wrong. And I want us to understand that a toothless God is not one that we worship. Right, it doesn't bring us in, in awe before the living God. It doesn't bring us in the presence of a holy God who is too holy to, than, than to behold sin or to let it to carry on forever. He must judge it. He must bring it into, to judgment. This God is no one to trifle with. Okay, he's, he's not someone to trifle with. He is a holy God. That's what it says in Second Thessalonians one seven. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord God is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. Is that great? That's the thing. It's it's all to his glory. His humiliation, Christ's humiliation was very much to his glory. There he was, despised and rejected by men. There he was. By his stripes we are made healed. We are healed and and we are given salvation through the the letting Christ be destroyed. Judgment coming upon him. But now if the Lord were, were to let all that stand as it was, he wouldn't be glorified. But when he comes... In his glory, with everlasting destruction in his hands, then he will be glorified in the eyes of his saints. And we should glorify him even today. This Christ, this great judge, he is our God. And he is our Savior. Now, secondly, I would say for sinners, you ought to flee the wrath to come. It's very simple, isn't it? I, I hope it's the sort of message that would have come across to the people of Noah's day. Judgment is coming. Flee the wrath to come. There's plenty of room on this ark. Now, this time is it, not a physical ark that you walk into. Rather, it, the, the door into this ark is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He says, I am the door. Right? And he says, if anyone comes in by me, he will be saved. Anyone who comes in by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you put your faith in Christ, you receive his gift of salvation, and you're in the ark. You're in God's church, his invisible and spiritual church, and you will be saved from the wrath to come. Flee the wrath to come. But if, on the other hand, you hear these warnings and it means nothing, just be reminded of what Proverbs uh, 29.1 says, He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy. Because that's the situation of the ungodly. God, in various ways, has brought warnings for them. Even in their own conscience, they know these things. There's an understanding of God, even among the, in the heart of the one who seems to be farthest away from him. And the question is, what do you do with the warnings that come to you? And my advice to you is that you should heed them. Obey the gospel as the word. Those who don't obey, well, obey the gospel then. How about that? It's not hard. We're not asking anything great. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, in grace, actually will forgive the greatest of sin. That's the thing that's true about it. Yes, he will forgive the absolute worst sin, and that freely, completely, utterly. There's no one who's beyond his his grace. You You can't say, I'm going to make my own ark and refuse the one that God has given. You've got to come through the one door of Jesus Christ. Sinners flee the wrath to come. My third application is for the saints, for God's people. We ought to live a holy life. Second Peter 3.11, of course, makes this precise application. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, it's going to happen, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now. So this is, in summary, the whole thing. The world is going to end. All of it's going to be, all that's going to burn. But here's the application. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. That's the thing. We know that the world is going to end. We know that this holy God is coming in judgment. What should we be like then? The answer is that we should be without spot and blameless. We should not fall into the things for which this world is going to be judged. Rather, we should be living lives of holiness that befit a holy God. Be holy, for I'm holy, he says. Fourthly, and as it were, by the way, I would just point out, I hope something that you has come to your mind in the course of this, which is that atheist science, quote science, is wrong. Okay? It's wrong. The whole idea of, of, this, of secular atheistic science is uniformitarianism. The idea that everything that happens now is the way it has always been, and what is happening now is the way it always will be. Uniform. And all of this is saying that that is a lie. Do you understand? It's not always been this way. God in the past has suddenly intervened with dramatic changes to this world the flood was dramatic and god will in the future intervene in a dramatic and supernatural way and so we cannot with any validity look and say i can explain exactly the way things have happened using only what i see now because that's the whole point Jesus is pointing out the, the fallacy of imagining that, that, that things are happening what we perceive as is normally and that's the way it's always going to be. He's saying that's wrong. And it's the kind of thinking that says that this uniform world just kind of evolved slowly and is never going to go anywhere else, you know, anytime soon or any kind of quickly. That's the kind of thinking that has edited God out of the whole program. And that's why sinners carry on in their sin. No. God has created suddenly. He has destroyed this world already suddenly, and he shall do so again. And we need to put our faith in God and not in atheist science. Fifthly and finally, I would say this. Saints take comfort because the church is precious to to God. Okay? That's what I want to say about all this. I mean, yes, we should should certainly repent, and we should certainly live lives of holiness. But isn't it just wonderful the way that the church is so precious and so upheld by the living God? It seems to be the only thing he really cares about. I, I know he cares about other things. But you understand, by comparison, this is the thing that he really cares about. The application of the day that Noah entered the ark and the day that Lot left Sodom, you see that he's pointing these things out. He could have said, he could have said these things without that. Then on a certain day, the, you know, the, the flood came. Or on a certain day, then fire from heaven rained down on Sodom. Instead, he says, no, it's on the day that Lot left. No, it's, it's on the day that Noah got into the ark with his family. That's when it happened. You see The people of this world carrying on with their affairs. They take no notice of God's people. On the list of headlines of this world, very few of these important things that are going on in the world have anything to do with God's people at all. But brothers and sisters, that is not the case with your God. Okay? He looks in this world and the thing that he is concerned with is you. The things that he is concerned with are of the status of his church, of Zion. The thing that brings joy in heaven to Christ and to the holy angels and the saints isn't when, when a football team wins or when some, somebody wins a war or anything like that. It is of the redemption of another sinner as he brings about the completion of his church. And you know what? When the end is coming... On that day, the very day, it could be that the world leaders are in some great, great summit and they're halfway through. It could be that scientists are about to announce some amazing discovery. It could be that technologists have created some wonderful thing that will change our lives for the better and all the rest of it. And it doesn't matter! Anything could be going on in this world and God could care less. Do you know what is going to bring about the end? Completion of his church. That last sinner coming to faith in Christ, that last one being joined to his holy church. And the door of the ark is closed. And then the world ends. Doesn't matter what's going on. Because Christ cares about his church and he will absolutely save it. You know what it says in Genesis nineteen twenty two? Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Do you see? There's God about to destroy this place. It's so wicked. It's crying out for destruction. And, and, and the angel says, I can't do anything until you get to your place of safety. He's waiting. God doesn't wait on the, the, the leaders in their summit. God doesn't wait on the scientists and their discovery, the technologists and their, their wonderful invention. He doesn't even care about those things, but he will wait for God's people to get to, to the place of safety. Revelation 7.1, and I saw these things, and I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth or the sea or any tree. And I saw another angel descending from the east, having the seal of the living God, He cried with a loud voice to the four angels of whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. They're there to destroy it, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until what? Until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. There they are, they're waiting. When can we destroy the world? And they can't do anything until all the servants of God are safe and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Saints, take comfort. You are of supreme importance to the living God. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, what what can we say to these things? We know, Lord, that you are great and mighty, almighty, Heavenly Father. You have created all things by the word of your power, and even now it is by your word that they are being upheld. Lord, you have in the past judged this wicked world, and you have given these things as signposts, as warnings, because you, indeed, you do do care that people should have adequate warning and should turn. You have no, no pleasure In the death of the wicked, you would desire that we would turn everyone from our wicked ways and turn to Christ in faith. Lord, the ark is here. It is indeed in plain sight of the world around the true biblical church with its doors wide open because of the free offer of the gospel in Jesus Christ. How, Lord, we pray that many would be coming into this door and particularly among us at every last one would embrace Christ in faith and be in this ark and would escape the wrath to come. And Lord, seeing that these things will happen, what, what sort of lives should we live then? Lord, we pray that they would be of holiness. Lord, we pray that we would have very much in mind, not only that the sin around us, the sin of our own sin, Lord, these things brought Christ to the cross And, Lord, the sin of the world that we see, these things are bringing the destruction of Christ upon them. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would live in accordance with your own holy law. And, Lord, we are so comforted at the thought that nothing is going to happen until your church is complete. And, Lord, we look forward to that day, and we pray that in our hearts that we would see before us that great day, as our Savior coming on the clouds of, of glory and worship Him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.